There's a lot of bad press for preacher's kids and missionary kids, and I know a lot about it because I am one, and I have three of them. Welcome to Deeply Spiritual, but rather uncertain. The stakes were really high not to question those beliefs too strongly, because not only could you find yourself outside of the circle of what is defined as a Christian, you could also then find yourself outside of the circle of like, what was this family? Like, what were we doing, right? Or why did my family move across the world? The stakes were too high, I think, in in those days for me to pull on any of those threads, because it could all, you pull on one of those threads, the whole thing could sort of come crashing down. Recently, I spent a few weeks in the States, and during that time, I had a couple of days with my oldest son, Josh. I am incredibly fortunate to have great relationships with all of my boys and their wives. But I'm also very aware that the life that Sheila and I have felt called to and have chosen has had an impact on our children, both positively and negatively. And so while Josh and I were together, we turned on the microphone and we talked about it so we could invite you into the conversation. I hope that something in Josh's story encourages you in your own journey. So here we go. So Josh, welcome to the program. Really nice to have you here. Um, Let's start by you giving us a glimpse of your story. I mean, just go back to the beginning and Tell us shortly what your life has been like for 37 years on this planet. All right, I'll, I'll do my best. I think the best place to start is that my name is Joshua David Wendell Collins, which, so for those of you who don't know, the real name of Skip Collins is David Collins. So David comes from my dad. Wendell is the name of my grandfather. And Obviously, both my dad and my grandfather spent their entire lives in ministry. And so I sort of was born the firstborn child on that side of the family and sort of was born into this sort of legacy of uh, ministers. And I was in church from about the time I was out of the hospital. Um, and, and Literally, I, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> literally. And I think we were there at least a couple of times a week, maybe three times a week, until I was old enough to be there every single day because that's where I went to school, starting in kindergarten for a couple of years, till I was seven years old. At that point, the family moved to South Africa to be missionaries. I was seven, my brother was five, and the family packed up everything we had and moved across the world to sort of, again, sort of continue that that legacy and so once we got there after a really short stint in a public school I actually ended up back in a private christian school for a couple of years and then eventually moved into public school sort of in middle school and finished out public school all through high school in south africa but during those years we got plugged into a church and that really became a central if not sort of the central part of my life. It's where all my friends were. All my relationships were at that church. If there was something going on, we were there. 
be at sort of youth group um, worship band I was involved in. We did mission trips. We did summer camps, Bible studies, discipleship groups. So I was there all of the time, and that was really my life um, all the way through high school. When it got to the point of finishing high school and deciding what to do next, my real dream at that point was to move back to the States and study music at a Christian college and get into the Christian music industry. That's what I wanted to do. And so I moved to Indiana. I went to school at Anderson University to major in music. I got a job on the side working for Gloria Gaither at her bookstore coffee shop. I got another side gig leading worship at a Nazarene church in Alexandria, Indiana. And so I was sort of still on that sort of progression into the Christian music industry. At some point near the end of my college career, which interestingly was sort of where my deconstruction story starts, and we can talk about more about that later, but I sort of started to change tack and I went to, decided to go to law school and moved to Nashville uh, to go to Vanderbilt Law and, and, stayed, and have stayed in Nashville ever since and got a job as a lawyer and sort of never made the jump to, to music and, and sort of ended up not being connected to church in the same way, sort of on and off for a period of time and sometimes a lot more off than on. And then in 2015, my marriage of 11 years ended in divorce and that was a, a, a difficult time, but it's a time that a lot of things in my life got shaken up and rattled in a way that led me to really start taking stock of who I was, what I was doing here, what life was all about. And it's actually in that time that I really sort of sort of started re-engaging with spirituality in a sort of in a new way and not in a way that I was a part of really a close part of organized religion or, or church. But I, I sort of started doing it on my own and through podcasts and through reading. And eventually that led me to find a church community in Nashville that really was where I needed to be. And I found Grace Point uh, sometime in 2016 and have been there ever since. It's a it's an interesting place. It's um, a, a, a beautiful group of people called itself a post-evangelical progressive Christian church. And it's a place where now I can sort of engage with these questions uh, in a really open way. And I have a lot more questions than I have answers right now. But I feel in a way more engaged with the divine or my the way that I interact or respond to the divine uh, in a deeper way than maybe I ever have, despite the fact that it was right there in front of me in some form all of my life. Um, and sort of been a new, like a new way to engage with that. So that's where I am now. Okay, let's go back to seven-year-old Josh. Your mom and I make this decision that we're moving the family to South Africa. Out of what we've known, out of what has been your life, and we pack up to become missionaries. What impact did that decision have on your life? Yeah, I mean... It's definitely one of those things that I've thought more about lately and is not something that in the moment it was an adventure, right? Like, well, we're moving to Africa. Cool. 
like that let's go i don't remember being particularly traumatic it, it was just what was happening and as i've sort of unpacked it later uh, i think it probably had a profound effect on my life and and sort of how i turned out i sort of had to just get we all, I guess, were sort of just like on this adventure. We're like you were like on the train, and it was like leaving whether you were ready or not. And so, to some extent, um, that probably taught me, like it didn't, it didn't sort of, it didn't always matter what I. No one asked me if I wanted to move to South Africa. Well, see, this is what I'm thinking about. So, so parents um, make these kind of decisions for their kids all the time because it. At seven years old, you know, you 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 can't really be a part of the decision because you don't have that process. And yet it's kind of weird that a parent would say, OK, we're going to be missionaries now. And that's why I'm kind of interested to hear that. Yeah. Now. And, you know, you can actually start back a little bit earlier to when we were raising money to move to South Africa, because okay. that's sort of when it starts, really. And. You yeah, know. so talk about how you were involved in that. Yeah, so yeah. right, so we would go as a family would would sort of travel around to churches. I think they would have sort of special sort of, you know, the missionaries are coming night and we would show up and we sort of had like a traveling road show that we did where um all four of us would sing. Sometimes me and my brother Maya would sing by ourselves. Sometimes it'd be all four of us, sometimes it'd just be um you and mom and uh, and, and, and you, you spoke and sort of, and there might've been, I don't know, were there slides? I don't remember, but, but anyway, we, we were, we were sort of like this traveling show. And so my friend called us the Von Collins family. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and so early on, you sort of get pulled into this entity rather than you become a little bit less of an individual. Right. And so, and as you, as you go from place to place and you're introduced to people and most of these churches are or all of these churches were churches that we had some sort of connection to, or some, they knew us or they knew the family. And when I'm introduced to people, they know my grandfather, Wendy Collins. And so you're like, you're Wendy's grandson or you're Skip's son, right? Or you're like a member of the singing family. You know, to some extent, it's like, you know, you all are telling this story or sort of putting together this presentation of what we are and what we're doing. And why it makes sense to support us in this. And so you become part of, maybe not the best word, but you're sort of like creating a brand. Like, and, you, and so then you kind of become part of the brand and it's, it, it's sort of expected that you fit. It becomes easy, especially in this family, I think, to know what that looks like. And like, this is like what it should look like. And this is like what, I don't know that I want to say that I was playing a role, but you know what the role is. Yeah. But I, I will say, like, I was never forced to, I never, I never remember being forced to do anything. And that was, you know, what was interesting about it is it, you become, you, you get very affirmed in that process, right? And you're on stage and you're singing, and you're like, wow, you're a great singer. And like, that's so cool. You're going to Africa. And like, that's the coolest thing. And so it, it becomes really easy to, uh, to really lean into that identity. And because you, you gather a lot of affirmation from that and but it really forms who, what you think of yourself or who you think you are okay so what what would you say are the the pluses and the minuses of that where has that been a negative influence on your life where has that been a positive influence on your life sure i mean i think i mean on the positive side you know 
I wouldn't trade my childhood for anything, for, for one. Um, and so anytime I'm talking about, you know, the cons of that or, or some things that, you know, uh, some sort of after effects of that, I still come back to that was a great way to grow. Like moving to South Africa was a, a formative experience for me in a very positive way. And I would never trade it. Being on stage was great. Like giving, you know, being, I don't know, like it, it makes, it's always made me, I've never been afraid of speaking in front of crowds of people. Right? I wasn't on stages from about five years old. And so, um, and interacting with adults and learning how to entertain myself in boring days when we were doing other things. So I think that there was a lot of that that was, um, that was really good for me and, and taught me how to be flexible, like infinitely flexible, never get too worried about what's going, just sort of making it work as you go. Like that was sort of my childhood is like, okay, we're stuck here for the day. Maya, like, let's find some way to entertain ourselves. And um, so that was good. You know, on the, I guess on the negative side, or I don't even know if I want to call it a negative side, but um, certainly like what has been a challenge for me is be what I was alluding to a little bit earlier in terms of carving out my own identity that was separate from this whole thing, right? That was separate from being Wendy's grandson and Skip's son um, and separate from the Collins family and separate from being the missionary kid and separate from being the American in South Africa or the South African in America. Like who is Josh, mm. you know, and what, do, what do I want or need? Because generally speaking, that didn't always matter. It could, it didn't matter because it sort of, I couldn't change it. Like if I needed something, it felt like that's not really, there's not time for that right now. Like we're doing this thing and you're on, and the way to make it easiest is to be on board with it. Cause if you're not on board with it, it's going to be real hard, but it's kind of happening either way. And that sort of played out more and more sort of later in my life. And, and it took me a long time to come to that realization that, I have been very good at knowing how to survive and knowing how to get along and knowing how to like not ruffle feathers and not great at asking for what I want or even always knowing what I want. And that's sort of been a process that I've been going through lately. Do you think that's unique to to our family? Do you think that's unique to ministry families, to missionary families? I mean, have you talked to other people that have had that same experience before have I, you? I will definitely say it's it, it seems to be from what I can tell um, a common part of being a missionary kid so so talk about talk about your spiritual journey in all of that were there catalysts in your journey ups and downs throughout the moving to South Africa, going to high school there, coming back to university, going to law school, all those things. What, mm -hmm. what, how does your spiritual journey weave into all that? Sure. For the first several years of my life, um, I think my spiritual journey became more about my identity as who I, wa like who I was and where I came from more than it was an individual spiritual journey right okay. yeah it was something that was inherited and then became part of what we were all doing and, and i think this is probably true for for a lot of ch kids growing up if you're grown in, you know born into a christian 
family, you sort of buy into it without a lot of introspection or pulling it apart. I think because of the way the, the particular brand of spirituality or Christianity that I was raised with, I think really focused on right belief, right? And so if you believed correctly, you were in, you were a Christian. And if you believed too far incorrectly, then maybe you weren't. And where exactly is that line? And so the stakes were really high not to question those beliefs too strongly because not only could you find yourself outside of the circle of what is defined as a Christian, you could also then find yourself outside of the circle of like, what was this family? Or like, what were we doing? Right. Or why did my family move across the world to do this? Right. So the stakes were too high. I think in, in those days for me to pull on any of those threads, because it could all, if you pull on one of those threads, the whole thing could sort of come crashing down. And then where are you, where are you, you know? And so I think as I then left home, went to college, I think I started that process of forming my own identity that wasn't so wrapped up in just the family and and just what we were doing as missionaries in South Africa and became a little bit more my own. Um, it gave me a little bit more breathing space to be able to sort of privately, without anyone knowing, start questioning things and not feeling like it was all going to fall apart. The first thing I can trace that back to is a class I took in college where we read a book that was essentially a dialogue between N.T. Wright and Marcus Borg about Jesus and, and the stories of Jesus. And I feel like I was the only one in that class or one of the only ones in that class that was really resonating with what Marcus Borg was saying as the, you know, he was sort of the out of left field progressive the theologian. I think he's part of the Jesus seminar, you know, types. But Borg's point or what I took out of it was essentially you don't have to believe, I'm not sure, he was saying, I'm not sure I believe that all of these stories actually historically happened. And that doesn't matter to my spirituality, my identity as a Christian. It doesn't rise or fall on it being true or, or not. So maybe he's saying, I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You can pull on that string and nothing, and it won't all come crashing down. And that was the first time I had ever heard anyone say that. And so I think that was the beginning. And then similarly, right after that, I started reading Jim Wallace. And he did the same thing for me in the world of politics and how politics and religion had been so uh, intertwined for me for so long. Jim Wallace could say, I believe that as a Christian, you can be progressive politically and those two things are like, you're not going to go to hell for like being prog more progressive politically. And you can separate those two things. And again, so like that was sort of a, a sea change for me in being able to say, okay, I can open up now this part of my brain and think through things 
and it won't all come crashing down. So that's really interesting because I think for some people, when they're confronted with that kind of thinking, it just confuses everything. Because for so long you've been taught this, you've been taught that everything that's in the Bible has to have happened. You know, it's 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 authentic, it's real, and even in terms of science and stuff, it's it's all there. And now somebody's telling you something different. Did it confuse you or did it free you? It was freeing. I, for me, it was instantly freeing. And I know people's journeys of deconstruction can be different. And some people are very difficult and full of tension. And But for me, it was always freeing. And where, where I struggled after that was trying to find anyone else who was thinking like, like this that I could talk to or any other community where I could go to sort of explore those ideas. And that became hard to do. And so I, I would try and fail. And so then I was sort of left where church became started becoming irrelevant to me because I would find places that I liked and they might be feel sort of open-minded, but ultimately they were, I think a lot of churches are this way. They will give lip service to doubt, like you're allowed to doubt and be here. But ultimately they have an opinion. There is a right belief for them and they ultimately want you to get there, right? And they'll, they'll entertain you as a seeker or as a doubter for some period of time. But the doubting is not a, not a landing place for them. And I sort of needed a place where it's like, no, you can, you can do this indefinitely. And, and your doubting doesn't take you outside of the circle. Yeah. Like you're still in. Like you can't get outside of the circle. So whatever you need to, you know, however long, whatever you need to question, it, it doesn't matter. And I couldn't find a place like that. And so as a result, church became, it felt irrelevant because it was like, it felt like, yeah, see you, you church, you do think it is too dangerous to, to believe incorrectly, like incorrect belief is dangerous, is dangerous to you. And so, and so as a result, um, that sort of led me into a period, uh, starting, you know, at some point, probably in law school and spanning up through about two years ago where I just couldn't find a place to work all to work this stuff out with any in any kind of a community and so I would sort of do it myself some and then ultimately it sort of petered out because there was never any momentum around it because I couldn't find other people to talk to about it I was looking for a place to fit in I was looking for a place to belong and I couldn't find it. I mean, generally speaking, raised as a Christian, you feel like you need to find a church. Like that, I mean, that was really it. Like I'm trying to find a church where I can work through this stuff. And was that because you, that's what you were supposed to do? Or was that, or did you feel that need inside of you? Both. Yeah, okay. I think both. Some combination of that's what you're supposed to do. And I literally know of no other way to be in spiritual com community. Yeah. Like there, I had no other way of thinking about that. Also, I will say being out of church for an extended period of time, there was something even in the midst of deconstructing it all 
that I really missed about the ritual of carving that time out of your week to go be with people, to sing communally, to get out of your own headspace and sort of open yourself up to the possibility of something else. Even if I didn't know what that was or if there was any point to it, the practice of doing that uh, was something that I, that I needed and I would go back to from time to time. And generally speaking, like every, every part of the service other than the sermon, I found like very nourishing and rewarding. And then like the three-point Calvinist sermon, like I just checked out of. And like, I literally just wanted to bring, you know, Brian McLaren books to read during the sermon. Or like, I was like, can I just, can I like build my own adventure here? Because I, I need this space. I need these people. Uh, I need this, uh, this ritual. But, uh, but the theology wasn't helping at all. And, and that was the tension. And so what was it about church that made you feel like you weren't allowed to question, you weren't allowed to doubt, you weren't allowed to live in that space? Where did that, was that self-imposed by you? Did that come from other places? Where did that, is it part of your upbringing? What? I, well, I, to me, it goes back to this idea of right belief, right? So as long as we're defining Christianity, or as long as we're saying that your salvation ultimately lies in believing and affirming certain capital T truths about life and about salvation and, 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 and the whole story, as long as everything is sort of predicated on that, then there isn't enough, there was never enough space for me because I was questioning the, that whole basis, the whole basis of that. And so it, it was literally like the, the church, church was, was sort of built on a found, <laughs> this like underlying foundation that like I couldn't get past. And so as a result, there, there just never was enough space. You could question, we can have arguments about how we do baptism and we can have arguments about when we do communion and we can have arguments about the end times, but like, you can't, there are certain arguments you can't, there are certain threads you can't pull on because then you're, now you're like outside okay. of the box. So you've talked, you've said, talked a couple times about, about deconstruction in your own life. One of the things I've talked about on this podcast is the importance of, of having space to deconstruct, but also being, being able to reconstruct so, so that my faith isn't just defined by what I don't believe, but, but I can actually come to terms with, what I do believe. Where do you think you are in that process now mm -hmm. through all these years of journeying this? It's certainly an ongoing process and I suspect it will never end. I hope, I sort of hope it doesn't end. I actually don't love the word reconstruct, reconstruction, although I also agree with what you're saying. Uh, to me, deconstruction feels like you're pulling down these sort of structures and rigid doctrines that you're given to say you can only experience the divine inside this box. And anything outside of this box is dangerous and it's not the divine. And so deconstruction for me was pulling that apart. And, and that's why it was freeing because it, was, it wasn't so much a no to that box as like a yes to everything else. And like that box included, like that's in the yes too. It's just that it's not, it's not the only yes, like there's more. And so 
um, for me, reconstruction sounds like building a new box to sit in. Okay. And I don't, and, and so, and I don't have any interest in building a new box. Um, but I do, but I do agree with you in terms of, uh, for there's a season in time where the activity is bulldozing the bad, the old stuff. And then at some point you've got to do more than just destroy and burn the old stuff. And, uh, and I do agree with that. So I, I've still, I don't have a word yet. I'm still looking for a word I like better than reconstruction. It's like deconstruction and like creation or some, I don't know, something bigger, but, but something that's like different than like building. I don't want to rebuild, um, a different box, a different box. Yeah. And yeah, but it's, just, it's the same box. A di- it's just a little bit different, but it's the same box. Nevertheless, that's, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, so cur- that's where I am right now is, is it in the space of how do you now live? How do you now respond to the divine without all of the shortcuts that we were given um, through sort of, you know, evangelical Western Christian doctrine? Okay, so and then as a part of this journey, you you've come across a community that you feel like you can be a part of authentically and that's helping you so what was that journey like to come to that place and how has that impacted your own spiritual journey yeah so a couple of years ago i found a church that was really doing what i was doing there were people who were doing what i was doing and it was kind of life-changing just to find more people who are doing this. And so, yeah, now it feels like I have a place to go to have these kinds of conversations and to work through things together and to have church. But I don't know that any of us have all the answers. And it's a really beautiful thing to be able to learn from people who are, have come from very different places and who are thinking about it in very different ways. But no matter what, we sort of agree on some core tenets that I guess bind all of our journeys together in some, in some way. Okay, so let me ask you a question. If, if you were like sitting with a family, a missionary family or maybe a pastor's family or a family in any kind of ministry, actually, and, and they had young children and they felt this sincere call of God in their lives, and yet they were worried about how they do that well for their children. Based on your experience anyway, what would you say to them? I think for for the missionary family or the or the pastor, I would say just be I think to just be aware that that vocation maybe more than any other really is a is a vocation choice for the whole family. And to just at least start with being aware of that and knowing that that creates some inherent difficulties in allowing the individual members of that family to feel that they are individuals, especially in, in, as it pertains to their own spiritual journeys. I mean, I, I think I would ask myself, does my livelihood, does my 
is it important to me as a pastor and missionary that every member of my family lines up with what I think a missionary family is supposed to look like? How much does that matter to me? And if the answer is maybe it shouldn't matter that much, then think about what you can do to message that to everyone else in the family that like this thing doesn't rise and fall on you towing the line and sort of opening up those conversations and opening up those doors. And I don't know if there's a perfect way to do that, but certainly that was my challenge was understanding that I had my own identity and that questioning things wasn't going to ruin everything, ruin the whole family, ruin the whole, the whole thing that we were doing uh, to sort of lower the stakes a little bit, I think is helpful. And then for the, you know, for the missionary kid or the pastor's kid, you know, I, I kind of keep coming back to a line that comes from a new book by Hannah Posh called Millenniagram. It's Enneagram for millennials. And sort of one of her occurring thing that she says that has really stuck with me is, you are the point of you. And it sounds obvious. And it also sounds, it's funny, like you can think about it in, in, in the context of the evangelical worldview I was given and say, ah, no, see, actually, I'm not the point of me. That sounds conceited. But I actually believe that's true. Like, you are the point of you. You know, your family isn't the point of you. Like, you, you don't have to carry all of that. You are the point of you first. And, you know, I think that's something that I'm still learning to this day, but it's something that I wish I had learned a little bit earlier. Oh, that's great. Okay, we need to wrap this up, but is there one last thing you would like to say? Yeah, I think um, it's important for me to say that this is, this is my story, uh, but it's only my story. And, you know, I have two younger brothers who were part of this family too. And, and I have one brother who's close in age to me who went through this really I, at the exact same time and doing the exact same things that I was doing. And I'm almost certain that if you talk to, to Maya or to Jordan, they would, they would tell you something different. So uh, it's hard for me to say that all missionary families are, are like this, or this is, these are the pros and cons of growing up in a missionary family for everyone. But it's, it's what I experienced and it's what I learned, but it's only that. For, so for, take it for what it's worth. Oh, that's great. Thanks, man. Really right. appreciate you being here. Take care. Thanks. So there you have it. I had a blast doing this, but I hope it was helpful for you in some way as well. And if you're listening on iTunes, please scroll down to the bottom and rate and review this podcast. It is super helpful in getting the word out, so I would appreciate it. So until next time, shalom. Shalom.